Good morning. It is good to uh, be here. I did not know I was that unpopular. Uh, that, uh, that, that, that's a little scary. That explains why I can't get through the doors until I have my ID. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, my, my colleague, uh, Jeff, asked me what text I'm using. Uh, and he did that. I think it was last Friday. So I'm like, I'm preaching? I said, yeah, you're preaching. I said, oh my goodness. Uh, I did not check the schedule because uh, my wife has gone through a rather difficult time through her treatments and so forth. Some of you know, three years ago, she was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And so uh, last Tuesday, this past Tuesday, she was at the hospital uh, having a major operation done on her, uh, not because there was any cancer, but it was preemptive. And uh, the goal was to eliminate uh, any chances of the cancer coming back. So I was buried in all this stuff uh, in the middle of her treatment. Uh, she spikes a fever of 101. And then she's, uh, of course, treated. She was supposed to be released on Wednesday, but they said, we cannot release you uh, when you're like this. So they had to keep on treating her. And then on Thursday, uh, by the grace of God, um, the fever came down to 97.9. That means it was no fever. So she was released. And so I came to teach uh, the uh, hybrid course, which I did not teach on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, but I had to give the students uh, their money's worth. So I told them, let's meet on Friday, and I basically recorded all my other lectures for them. So I'm here in chapel uh, with uh, our brother Octavia Smith, Smith preaching a powerful sermon, and I thought, oh, this is wonderful. I went to the altar, prayed, and somebody laid his hands on me. I don't know who it was. I'm beginning to think I know who the person is. Um, but uh, I could be mistaken. So I walked out, and Brother Jeff Cartwright, uh, Jeff, I have a friend called uh, Jeff Cartwright. He, he, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Freimar <laughs> tells me, you're preaching, so we need a text. I was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll send the text. I actually told you I think it must be Titus chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3. So here it is, and I want to talk to you, if you don't mind, briefly about... God's promises, God's promises. Specifically, I want to teach, to talk to you, not to teach, talk to you about counting on God's promises. This is because a good chunk of our lives seem to run on the fuel of promises. You and I are here because prior to our existence, two persons promised each other that they love one another, and here you are. Uh, a lot of our lives seem to be based on promises. The politicians get elected based on the promises they give, that they'll go to Washington and make an impact in the lives of their constituents, their peoples. Sometimes they honor the promises, sometimes they don't. And we just live our lives based on promises. You are here in this seminary because we, the faculty, and the administration promised to help you figure out your call, help you navigate through the call that you believe God has placed in your heart. 
Now, as human beings, we intend to fulfill those promises. Sometimes, because we are humans, we fail to do that. But you know what? God's promises, you can count on them. You know, even when well-meaning humans intend to keep their promises, they renege on them sometimes. God never reneges on his promises. God will always deliver. God will always remain true to his promises. And I'm looking at Titus chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. It's not exactly talking about promises, but when you focus on verse 2, it really does talk about promises. Uh, as was so eloquently given to us earlier on by our readers, and I won't belabor the, the point of reading through that again, but I'll just make allusions to specific lines and phrases in that text. One of the things I think we need to remember is the importance of the fact that you and I can count on God's promises. Why? Because God's promises are trustworthy. Secondly, because God's promises are timeless. And third, because God's promises are timely. Let's begin with the first one. Count on God's promises because they are trustworthy. Verse 2 says, if you're reading from the old version of the new international version, it goes something like this. A faith and knowledge resting in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, in other words, which God, who is trustworthy, promised. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is dependable. And what he tells you, you can take it to the bank, so to speak. Because what he tells you is believable. It's something that you can put all your money on. And not fear losing a single cent. Because God is trustworthy. In fact, John R. W. Stott tried to compare this idea of the trustworthiness of God. But he contrasted it with human trustworthiness. He said, when it comes to human beings, you can see that in his book, Basic Christianity. He said, when, we, when it comes to human beings... Promises are not enough. We need a contract. Laws are not enough. We need the police to enforce them. Tickets are not enough. They need to be inspected, punched, and collected. We do not trust each other. We fear one another. It is a sorry state of affairs. But you come face to face with God, you meet with a person who promises and delivers. He prophesies and fulfills. He declares a word from the beginning, what is yet to come. Because his promises can be counted on, they are trustworthy. You and I can count on God's promises because they are trustworthy. Secondly, count on God's promises, not only because they are trustworthy, but also because they are timeless. The Bible says, in just that very verse, verse 2, he says, 
Our faith and knowledge resting in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Before time began, God made this promise. Before time started, before chronology, the momentary succession of the clock, the momentary succession of events, before that even began, God had already made the promise. And you begin asking yourself, how is there a time before time began? What exactly does that mean? I'll tell you. I don't know. I don't know what it means. In fact, those guys who uh, dabble with the special theory of relativity and the general theory of relativity give us a clue. And the clue they give us is, the, mo the moment you begin traveling faster than the speed of light, time slows down. So much so that the faster you go, the slower time becomes. To a point where you can go fast enough such that everything happens simultaneously in the realm of time. That's what they say. And I really think that timelessness is divine speed. Where God is moving so fast in his realm that everything happens simultaneously. So that one word in that realm takes a lifetime here. One promise in that realm takes a lifetime here. One proclamation in that realm takes a lifetime here. And so when God says you will win, it is a lifetime of victory. When God says you will prevail, it is a lifetime of victory. When God says you will come through, it is a lifetime of victory. Why? Because God's promises are timeless. God's promises cannot be hindered. God's promises cannot be stopped. They are timeless. If the theory of relativity is correct, timelessness is divine speed. It is the speed at which God moves. In fact, we are told right now the universe is moving, not the universe, the earth is moving at the speed of about 60,000 miles per hour. Think of how fast God's eternity must be moving. It is powerful. Any promise he makes is timeless. It is eternal. It is not a prisoner of time. C.S. Lewis puts it well. He says, if you think of time as a line, think of God as the sheet of paper on which that line is drawn. God's promises. You can count on them. Because they are trustworthy. Because they are timeless. But there's a third reason why you and I need to count on God's promises. You can count on God's promises because they are timely. They are timely. In fact, if you go to the original Greek, it's the difference between chronos and kairos. Chronos is where you get chronology, the momentary succession of time. Kairos is the fitting season, the opportune time. So, if you go to verse 3 of that very text, it says, at the appropriate season, at the appointed time. In fact, let me go back to verse 2. It goes like this. It says, a faith and knowledge 
resting in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised at before the beginning of time and at the appropriate season, he brought his word to light. He brought his promise to light through the preaching entrusted to me. Paul might be having that moment on his road to Damascus. And when he had that fitting season, for God it was their fitting season, but to Paul it was a crisis moment. By the command of God our Savior, he says, at the appropriate time. I like the African-American tradition. When I was preaching at Duncan Chapel for 16 years in Lexington, Kentucky, we would sit there and have our afternoon time after eating fried chicken and sweet potato pie. And we are sitting there for the service in the afternoon. And this preacher, preacher after preacher, every time would sit down and listen to the preacher that say, God is never too late. God is never too early. God doesn't come up at the 11th, uh, 11th hour. He is always on time because the time is in his hands. And so you might be wondering, this promise that God made in my life for me, this promise that I'm counting on God to fulfill, Amen. when will it happen? It will happen at the right time. That period of waiting may be a trial moment for you. It may be a difficult moment for you. It may be a heavy time for you. But at the right time, that promise will come through. At the right time, God will, will, will fulfill that promise because the promise was made timelessly. If it was made timelessly, it was made in a timely manner. I believe it's the author of this book called Streams in the Desert. She makes an interesting point if you read that book. A point that I'm still trying to, whose enorm enormity I'm still trying to grasp. She says this. Anytime you're going through suffering, anytime you're going through that trial, anytime you're going through that period of pain or that moment where your faith is shaken, remember this, that God puts you to the test or allows you to go through the test in the same way that a goldsmith smelting gold puts the uh, gold through a fire and tests it through the fire. And as it goes through, the impurities that are in the gold are burnt out so that by the time the smelting is done and the goldsmith looks at the final product, he can actually look at it. It is so pure that he will be able to see his image in the gold. Question is, whose image is on you? It's the image of God. And when you go through that period of trial, through that period of suffering, do you know when that suffering is, will stop? When that suffering puts you at a point where God's image in you, which was distorted, is reclaimed. So that when he sees you, he sees your image. He sees his image in you. You are reflecting his glory. You are reflecting his image after going through that trial victoriously. So when does his promise come through? 
God's promises are timely when his image is reclaimed in you. When you've gone through that moment and struggled through it, his image is reclaimed in you. The Bible reminds us that you and I ought to always seek the importance of being filled with the Spirit of God. I dare say that once you're filled with the Spirit of God, during that moment of trial, you will be reflecting His image to a world that so desperately needs to know Him. You can count on God's promises because they are trustworthy. You can count on God's promises because they are timeless. You can count on God's promises because they are timely. What promise of God are you hanging on today? What promise of God for you are you trusting and depending upon him to fulfill for you? What promise? I dare say to you, it is trustworthy, it is timeless, and it is 